This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hey, friends. I'm so excited to welcome Dylan and Mackenzie of Nashville Pharmacy to the podcast. This is the final interview that I recorded back in Tennessee, and some of the only guests that I was fortunate enough to get to meet and hang out with in person. I was living in Buchanan at the time, just down the road from Dover, which has one of the farmer's markets that Dylan and Mackenzie vend at, and is also where they homestead. So Mike and I were both able to meet them, check out some of their awesome mushroom products, and chat a bit before setting up a podcast interview. In today's conversation, we talk about what it's been like establishing their new homestead, their passion for sharing and teaching others about mushrooms, some of their favorite mushrooms, what it's like running a gourmet mushroom farm, and also a bit on how to grow your own mushrooms. I hope you'll hop on over to their website to check out their offerings, including some of their grow kits, if you want to try your hand at this as well. Enjoy. All right, guys. So I'm here with Dylan and Mackenzie from Nashville Pharmacy today, based out of Dover, Tennessee, and super excited to have them on the podcast. We've been following each other on Instagram for a while, and then also have gotten to meet them now in person, finally, at our local farmer's market here. So I'm super excited to chat with them. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. And I would love it if you guys would introduce yourselves in your own words. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourselves and maybe what got you into mushrooms. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. And, and we're glad to be here. Um, my name's Dylan Fitch and uh, this is Mackenzie, uh, my wife. And we uh, have been a, officially a mushroom farm now for about a year and started in Nashville, just actually growing in our garage and basement, had the in, entire area kind of set up as a just a DIY kind of situation to get going. and eventually found a spot out here in Dover and picked up the whole operation and, and moved it out here and then started scaling things up. And, and now we're full on here in Dover and it's been awesome. Yeah, I know. So yeah, you guys did recently move out here to Dover and you're kind of doing the homesteading thing as well. It's not just mushrooms. It's kind of like a full lifestyle and operation. So really can relate to that as, as well from my perspective. Can you talk about maybe some of the goals and projects that you guys are dealing with, especially starting over on a new piece of land here? Absolutely. Um, we we really got into um, uh, farming and uh, and homesteading as kind of a theme, uh, just from watching uh, YouTube and and uh, Live Free or Die was one of our favorite shows. Uh, it was like a History Channel show, um, and just became really fascinated with people kind of uh, doing a little more uh, reliance, farming, uh, homesteading, permaculture, food forestry, that kind of thing just piqued our interest. So we slowly incorporated some of these things into our little tiny Nashville garden and we're experimenting with things like no-till and compost making and, and things like that, uh, some Korean natural farming techniques and just dipping our toes in the water and you know, we'd, we'd build a new bed and then a couple months later, we'd build another new bed. And before we knew it, we had this whole backyard mini farm and we're growing, you know, more mushrooms than we could eat. And all of a sudden it seemed like, you know, with not a incredible amount of new effort, we were already on our way to getting into this kind of lifestyle. And so um, naturally we started looking some 
for some place with some land because we were on about a, an eighth of an acre uh, not too far from downtown Nashville. And um, we're really looking for, you know, a couple acres where we could really set our roots and start remediating the soil or, you know, or putting some trees in the ground. And we thought we were going to move out to Flagstaff, Arizona for a little bit and potentially live out there. But that kind of fell through and, you know, very serendipitously property opened up here in Dover and we jumped on it and it turned out to be quite a bit more than we were expecting as a, a lot of these kind of situations do. You know, we didn't know uh, it was going to be quite a, a full renovation first. You know, we thought we were going to maybe just redo the kitchen or, or redo the bathroom or something like that. But yeah, it's really turned out to be a lot of property cleanup as well. So yeah. we spent like our first year just kind of cleaning the property, establishing some small gardens. And we have so many dreams and goals for this property. We have just under five acres. We're turning our backyard into a food forest. We really want to establish some trails through our woods with different little mushrooms kind of inoculated along the trail with signs and a pavilion where we can have courses out here and really like help our community to have a place to gather. And we want goats and chickens eventually. We got a tiny house this year that we're working on building out to have a kind of a space, an extension of Nashville Pharmacy to do a thing called Nashville Studios that were Nashville Pharmacy Studios that we're really excited about. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I come from a, a background of, of playing music. Um, before going back to school for biology, I was touring as a, a guitar player for a band called the Delta Saints. And uh, we were uh, doing that full time for about eight years uh, before that started uh, teetering off. But uh, I haven't really lost my desire to still be a part of the music scene. I, you know, many of my very best friends are still professional musicians doing that all the time. And so, you know, we are trying to figure out a way of incorporating this new lifestyle that we are, you know, taking on with some of those um, things that we miss from Nashville. Yeah, our, other, our other art creative endeavors. Exactly. And so what what better way than to try to combine those? And, you know, we've, we've really tried to come up with some creative ideas of how we can make something educational where, um, you know, maybe I'm teaching about mushroom farming or I'm teaching about soil remediation or employing mushrooms on, uh, you know, a small scale or just, you know, uh, nature, just going on nature walks, uh, looking at the local e ecology and, you know, incorporate that with some music mates. So, you know, as you know, as a content creator, there are, you know, a lot of need for soundtracks and soundscapes and and what better resource than a whole friend list of professional musicians than to bring them out and try to use some of this local inspiration to turn that out and so it's still kind of in the beginning stages but we're we're we have a, a little space that we're going to make into a studio and guest house and uh, and really try to bring people this way because it's it's special out here it's a it's a really a special place and and we found fell in love with where we're at so we just want to share that with our friends and community you know yeah definitely I think that's one of the awesome things about just this lifestyle in general of homesteading and then also being self-employed is that it gives you a lot of freedom to kind of branch out in a lot of different ways and try a lot of new things 
And so doing, like you said, doing the tiny house with the music studio out of it, and then having a space to teach and build community. That's really what it's all about for me too, is just like having that ability to have those resources and then have the time and ability to like share that space with others and like bring in. And, you know, if you really love something, you guys are passionate about mushrooms and homesteading. It's like, you want to share that with everyone else or music. And, and that's, I know we're really looking forward to that on our land as well to like have some guest houses, have some space to be able to do workshops and classes and have people come out when they need to like escape the city and come stay for a week or two or, you know, however long they want to. And that's just awesome. So, and it sounds like you guys <laughs> mentioning like the home renovation, as opposed to just a little improvement on like the bathroom or kitchen. Um, I think we run into that a lot as homesteaders, that story of like, oh, we thought we needed like this much work. And in, in, in fact, it was this much broader oh, yeah. uh, project or, or whatnot. Um, but like that permaculture theory of like, starting with the closest zone to you. And it's like, I always encourage people like, yeah, like just go ahead and make sure your home base is like squared away. And then you can worry about, you know, the further zones, like in different years. So you said you guys have five acres. So that's obviously a big change from like 0.2 acres in the middle of Nashville. What are like some of the things you've done so far that you're like most excited about on the property? For the kind of, like you said, for the first year, almost, um, we didn't do much around the house uh, on the land. We built a couple garden boxes, uh, but we're so focused on the house uh, that I was producing quite a bit of mushrooms at the time. And so still having spent substrate that we were using to generate compost. So right away we were starting our compost pile, you know, because we know that is kind of fundamental and yeah, key to that the, was the foundation right that's that's key to the whole system is the compost and we really feel passionate about everything leads into that and we can get into this uh later if you want about specifically yeah mushrooms uh and why that is an, an important step but we got our, our our compost pile going and then a couple trees taken down that were real close to the house um so we could have a little more uh, gardening sunlight. space and yeah, sunlight. Uh, and, and then it wasn't till this year, this uh, winter that we started really building uh, the garden beds and uh, food rows around the house and putting some trees in the ground, some fruit trees. Yeah, we got, we planted eight fruit trees. Uh -huh, initially, well, we have 12 now. So it's, it's growing little by little and we keep saving all of our favorite peach pits and and different fruit you know droop seeds because we want to uh, start just putting those in the ground all just over the all place over the yeah and just you know see what comes up uh, kind of I read an article about this this is something that they do in Scandinavia uh, quite a bit is just uh, people will collect all those seeds and just plant them along their walks and a lot of the parks and things are lined with these fruit producing trees that are you know, accessible to everyone. They can just reach up and, and grab it. So we decided we'll start that right on our property, you know, where we have trails and a path down to the water. Uh, so we had to do a bit of work on our well. We have mm -hmm. our own well on the property, which was really at the top of the list for me when Absolutely. we were looking for the property. Mm -hmm. um, it, like everything else, needed some, some work and some money, uh, but we're happy to have a reliable, deep, fresh, cold, spring well now that's too. huge that's important for the mushrooms they take a lot of water mm -hmm. yeah, and that had a lot to do with our decision to stay in tennessee and not move to arizona um our water consumption 
needed mm-hmm. mushroom farming. Yeah. Water's water's a huge thing. So, and so talking about like your mushroom setup, I can see behind you guys where you're recording from today. Um, can you talk us through kind of like, what is a, you know, for people that aren't doing this as a hobby, you guys are actually doing this as a business. What is that setup like for you guys? What does that look like? Yeah. Well, something that's kind of cool about mushrooms and, and that I really enjoy sharing with people uh, that are uh, surprised with what a little footprint is required to run a you know full scale mushroom operation. Um, right now we're in a 14 by 40 foot uh, prefab garage that has been kind of finished. I say finished, it still has quite a bit of work to be done, but uh, it, you know, I put up drywall and insulation and um, I grow in a, uh, my main growing space is a 10 by 10 mylar tent um, that I actually am not even using at its full capacity. I'm using about half of the space in there and still producing uh, roughly 100 pounds of fresh mushrooms a week. So um, to give you a little scope of what can be done in a 10 by 10, uh, you know, by eight foot tall grow uh, cube, uh, you could uh, feasibly be producing around 200 to 250 pounds of fresh mushrooms a week if you had the kind of the manpower to, to do that. Um, while I love that. So, I mean, because I always see like the grow kits for sale with like just, you know, the single bag or whatever, but to know you really, I mean, you wouldn't have to scale it up much past that to easily have enough mushrooms for just like your family or even just like a small community around you. Um, you know, I know most of the people listening to this are into homesteading and gardening, but maybe just want to grow enough for like themselves or some neighbors and friends. And so it's like, from what you're saying, you don't really need a lot of space to get started at all. Absolutely. And there are some really low tech, um, inexpensive ways to incorporate mushrooms on any scale. And that was something that was so attractive to us getting into this kind of going back to, you know, how we got into it. Uh, one of the first uh, uh, YouTube channels that we found uh, with mushrooms that inspired us was Mossy Creek Mushrooms. Um, Andrew Collier out of uh, uh, Jefferson City. Here, so he, they're also here in Tennessee. And he had this uh, YouTube channel where he was kind of showing his process of really doing a DIY mushroom business. And he was taking you through, you know, the, the really, uh, you know, not very glamorous steps of, uh, you know, th- those early uh, things, but it was working for him. And that kind of showed us, hey, maybe we can DIY this. Maybe we can uh, not have to invest a ton into infrastructure. We can just do a little at a time. And so like what you're saying is there are such easy ways and really, you know, to any scale from a full commercial production to just enough to have, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, It's the same process, essentially. Um, You just kind of scale it up and have ways of increasing that efficiency and you know, you might buy a lot more substrate at a time, but uh, the process is the same. And I actually use a lot of the same equipment that I started out with that I built myself when I was just experimenting. Um, it's still being used commercially. So that's awesome. So yeah. what type of equipment for, for someone just getting started? Like you said, this can be pretty low tech for an entry point. Like what type, type of equipment would someone need to get, do you think, to just to get started at like a base level? I would say the 
number one most useful uh, piece of equipment for doing mushroom cultivation is a pressure cooker. Um, uh, and, and there are, you know, some, you can go many different sizes and ranges with those. I, I recommend the 43 quart uh, Presto. It's a, around 50 or 60 bucks. Um, and that's what I used for many years. Uh, and just being able to sterilize or, or pasteurize your growing medium, your substrate, uh, will really allow you to uh, do, grow all kinds of different mushrooms because you can order the spawn, uh, kind of the seed of the mushroom online. And there's many different spawn providers that will ship it right to your door inexpensively. Uh, it's best not to do it in the heat of summer because it is susceptible to that heat. But, um, uh, and you can just essentially plant the, the medium that you've then sterilized with this already ready to go uh, spawn. And that by itself is the, all the process that you need essentially to have your own fruiting blocks that you can fruit in your kitchen. Or there are some low tech kind of tent methods uh, of indoor or outdoor uh, cultivation spaces, grow tents, grow spaces. Um, but they're all essentially the same. And a lot of the, the, the main principle is the mushrooms want to grow. As long as they're in, uh, you know, the right, they have the right food, the right substrate, uh, and the spawn or the genetics of the type of mushrooms you're growing are of a high quality, they're gonna grow in a variety of conditions, dry, wet, Indoor, outdoor, I mean, uh, they really are pretty resilient uh, when you just forget about them sometimes. You know, a lot of people will forget about their fruiting block because it wasn't doing anything when they thought it would. And they come back to it a couple weeks later and there's, you know, two pounds of mushrooms growing off of one little block, you know. That just goes to show that the, the mushrooms want to do the work for you. Yeah, so once you get it started, it's, it's, it can be pretty low maintenance to the point where, like you said, you can even forget it and walk away. Um, so one question, so a lot of homesteaders are probably hearing you say this and go, Oh, I already have a pressure cooker. Would yeah. you recommend for like safety or sanitation? Should they get a separate one to use just for mushrooms or can they use the one they already have? They can absolutely use the one they already have. Um, there shouldn't be any kind of weird, uh, contamination or anything like that. Uh, that what would be going in the pressure cooker would be jars or these what are called unicorn bags, these um, uh, pre uh, autoclave safe bags that have a little filter patch on them. Um, and, and then those bags would be sealed in a way that the wood uh, chip substrate uh, wouldn't leach out or anything. And, and really, it, even if it did, you would be able to... Um, just clean it like you like anything else and cool and there's nothing toxic or or harmful that you'd be dealing with in that situation. yeah i just figured that's a question people are going to have going oh i already have that like can i because we certainly love a new hobby that we don't have to go buy a lot of new equipment for though sometimes that can be the fun part but <laughs> most of us are on a budget so it's, it's really amazing how low tech you can go with mushrooms you know and if you're you know using varieties such as wine cap um king's trafaria is a, a common garden mushroom that is completely low tech you can just get the spawn for that put it on some wood chips in your garden or in, in a path in the yard anywhere and those mushrooms will grow they you i mean there are videos online of, you know, how to prep a wine cap 
space and everything and they they're kind of involved making a layered sandwich of you know all kinds of different things i find that to be completely unnecessary i mean wine cap uh mycelium is so vigorous you'll see once it starts colonizing it will form these long thick threads that you can pick up you know and and though it, that will just go by itself so even depending on the variety of mushrooms that you want to grow, you you might not even need to sterilize it at you know the substrate or anything. You can just throw it in, throw the spawn in, in the, the yard. Yeah. And then we've been growing a lot of oysters in the garden because we use the spent substrate blocks kind of as a, a mortar in our garden beds. So we've been just tossing our blocks out there, and oyster, beautiful oyster mushrooms are sprouting up in the shade of the other crops. And after it rains, there was just more than we could eat oyster mushrooms growing in the garden. That's awesome. Bonus, bonus food is always nice. I've done the wine caps before, like you mentioned in like the garden paths with the wood chips and stuff. And it's just so awesome to be out there just thinking, oh, I'm going to go out and harvest just the normal things from my garden. And then it's like bonus mushrooms at the same time. So best of both worlds for sure. Um, What are, I know for some people, mushrooms, there's maybe some concern about like, especially if you're foraging, but even here. So like you said, you know, making sure you're growing the type that you're planning to grow and people can get a little squirrely about, you know, worrying that they're going to have the wrong thing. So I know you guys are vending at different farmers markets and stuff. So like, what are some of the common, like kind of questions you get from people and how do you kind of calm them down and let them know that this doesn't have to be so complicated or scary? Yeah. uh, Well, definitely get a number of, of funny questions when it comes to, to our farm just because, you know, mushroom farming is kind of this new thing to a lot of people around here in, uh, in North America in general. Um, and uh, I would say one of the more common questions we get is that, you know, it, that we actually grow our own mushrooms. People come up to us and, you know, are like, you grow this here in Dover? You know, they're, they're surprised they, that- We get it somewhere else. Right, they're surprised that it, it's produced here in town. Um, I, you know, I haven't personally uh, experienced that many uh, people, people that concerned with uh, the varieties that we have because, uh, you know, we have them labeled and um, usually I'm describing the exact mushroom, you know, I really try to be a salesman and, and tell people all about every, each kind of mushroom that we have to offer and and so I think there's no question uh, whether or not we know exactly what it is. Um, but when it comes to cross-contamination, um, as far as uh, when you're growing mushrooms, there, it, it, there are chances of another you know, mushroom spore landing on your substrate, colonizing that substrate, and then out-competing whatever you, you had growing initially. Um, and you would generally be able to see that interaction happen. There will be, uh, the mushrooms will produce a whole lot of uh, like yellow exudate, uh, this uh, liquid that they produce as a defense me- mechanism is full of all kinds of enzymes that will break down, you know, bacteria or other fungi that they're competing against. Um, so that would be one sign as you're growing that you've got some kind of contamination. Um, and there are actually, as you're growing, uh, you know, I make it sound so easy because in one ways it is very easy. On the other hand, you are, uh, you know, creating an environment for fungi to grow 
that is inviting to all kinds of fungi that are parasitic to what you might want. Uh, and so contamination is basically the, the whole name of the game of what you're constantly up against. So you're always dealing with contamination. You're always watching for it. And there are definite signs of when contamination is present. Basically, the mushrooms just don't grow like they should. They're, they're not going to look right. They're not going to they're going to make different smells that aren't right. You know, um, it's kind of if anyone's familiar with making like kombucha or any sort of home ferments, uh, you know, if it starts smelling bad, you know that something's off. Mm -hmm. It's very much the same with the mushrooms when they're colonizing the right way. It smells sweet. There's this earthy, wonderful. I mean, it is a little kind of fishy sometimes, I guess, with certain varieties. But, but overall, it's a nice, it's a pleasant smell. Um, and and so you can tell when something's a little bit off. Um, so when things are going right, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I'm getting the results I want. And then maybe if you have a doubt or hesitation you know, the when in doubt, throw it out of like fermentation and stuff, like you mentioned kombucha and, and things like that. So it absolutely applies to mushroom growing and, and when in doubt, throw it out. There's never uh, any reason to invite more contamination, especially <laughs> grow space, you know? Right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned farmer's markets, talking to folks, um, you guys obviously like sell, you know, mushrooms by themselves, but then you also have some really cool products as well that incorporate mushrooms. Can you guys maybe share a little bit about some of those? You've got some awesome tinctures, um, some amazing looking granola that I've seen. Like what are some of the other things you guys are marketing? Yeah, we have a really small line. It's important to us to just kind of keep it small. We have four mushroom extracts, different kind of focus blends. Then we have a granola that we call world's best granola that Dylan has been kind of working on this recipe over several years, just for ourselves at first. And then we added candy cap mushrooms to the granola, which are this little brown mushroom with a amazing maple fragrance and taste. So there's a little hint of maple flavoring in the granola that comes from only this candy cap mushroom. And then we have a honey Infused honey, infused uh -huh. honey, and a face oil, face oil that is just something that we both have used for years that I made, and then we friends were wanting to buy it, so we added it to the line, and now that's doing really well. It has tremella mushroom in it, mm -hmm. which is really amazing for your skin, full of collagen, hyaluronic acid. Yeah, we um, like she said, we we have uh, this kind of small line of things, but uh, having value add items or secondary kind of uses of the mushrooms was a very important part of us why we wanted to get into this business in general uh, not just to be doing the uh, food production uh, but also the medicinal and therapeutic application of mushrooms was something that was very fascinating to us and also something that we were experiencing in our own lives as a, a holistic benefit to um, what we were you know, experiencing. So uh, we wanted to improve on that, uh, find a way of, of making something that not only we would want to use, but would kind of convert people to our side in a way, like make them understand that we're not just, you know, espousing all this, you know, this kind of naturalist, uh, groovy uh, stuff is like, no, just try it. This is really amazing, um, amazing stuff that 
you know, obviously has been used from uh, by other cultures for uh, hundreds and thousands of years, um, but are, is a relatively new thing here in North America. And so that just felt exciting to us as, as this kind of frontier of something that's all around us. And, um, and so our, our tinctures are maybe the easiest way to get, you know, these beneficial mushroom metabolites, these different polysaccharides and, and terpene, terpenes and alkaloids that the mushrooms produce as part of either their cellular structure or as a uh, response to their environment. Uh, and, and those, you know, are, are easily extracted with either hot water or ethanol or a combination of both. Usually, you know, having to pay attention to your temperatures and whatnot. So there, there is a careful extraction process, but uh, namely the extraction ability, to, you know, the ability to extract them at home was something that was appealing with mushrooms specifically. It was uh, kind of very uh, time-tested apothic techniques are, seem to be in, you know, in accredited research seems to still be the most effective ways of extracting these uh, these compounds. And so that just seemed to be the perfect storm. You know, we, we had the inspiration. Uh, we were experiencing the benefit ourselves and then also starting to uh, gain the, the skills as far as cultivation and identification and, and also, um, you know, making these extracts. And so that, that has quickly become the central uh, part of our market sales, actually. Um, people keep coming back, and that really tells us we're on to something uh, really good uh, because, yeah, getting repeat customers is everything. You know? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Those, when I get reviews or someone sends me a message that, you know, oh, this extract, like it's the only thing that has helped me sleep or with my anxiety, you know, just anything like that. It's just like, it's worth like more than gold to me. It's like the best feeling for sure. Um, and you mentioned like the science and, you know, science is definitely starting to catch up and showing just like how positive some of these mushrooms can, can be in terms of their effects, you know, like the research with like Turkey tail, for instance, um, some of like the cancer research that I've seen coming out with that. But also, like you said, so many other cultures have been working with these mushrooms for forever, basically. And, and, our culture is maybe finally starting to catch up a little bit, which is nice. Um, I do enjoy being able to point people to um, actual research and not just, you know, an article, you know, something I like being able to link right to an abstract that shows a, a really large uh, experimental group and, you know, clear evidence of kind of what we're saying. And, and so on our website, we even link to on every time we, make a claim or, or say something about one of the mushrooms, uh, we link to, you know, the evidence that uh, we're pointing to. So it's not just about anecdotes anymore. Um, I think you're right. The, the medical uh, and institutional research world is catching up because it's significant. It's, it's powerful and profitable. You know, it's always going to be about money somewhere uh, when it comes to that stuff. And uh, I think there, there is a, um, a noticeable potential market value market there for pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies as well, which is you know probably not a good thing for us, but 
Um, yeah, definitely some mixed feelings about that. And like right, yeah. money's, money's always going to come down to, you know, funding this research and everything else is they're determining, can we make a marketable medicinal product from this? Whereas you guys are doing it because you already know what it does and, and how yeah. helpful it can be. But yeah, it's kind of a double-edged sword for sure. Um, could you guys maybe talk about maybe one or two of your favorite mushrooms to work with that, um, and maybe some of the holistic uses or applications for it? Yeah. Um, so my two favorite mushrooms um, to, to work with are lion's mane, um, heresium arenaceus, and, uh, and cordyceps militaris. Um, those two uh, were the ones that really stood out to me right away as far as noticeable effect. Um, uh, Mackenzie and I had a, a little mushroom blend uh, powder that we were taking years ago when we were first kind of learning about some of this stuff. And uh, th- those were the two primary ingredients in it. And it really seemed to affect us every day, just our mental clarity our mental uh, kind of fortitude, stamina, how long we could stay focused on tasks. Um, and then the, with the cordyceps, the obvious uh, energetic uh, effect that it had, you know, very similar to caffeine, but not quite so unpleasant if it was too much, you know, that jittery feeling uh, that you get with drinking too much caffeine wouldn't be there with cordyceps. And and that has to do with, you know, cordyceps produces a compound called cordycephin that is analogous, analogous to um, adenosine uh, as well as caffeine. And so there are the same receptors activated uh, with cordycephin as there are with caffeine, and that hence why the effects are similar. Um, however, the cordyceps also increase what's called ATP production, um, uh, which is the uh, adenosine triphosphate is the uh, cellular energy unit that is ultimate. I'm sure you've probably talked about this before, uh, but basically all our cells purpose is to eventually break down sugar into ATP. And so whatever helps that process is going to give us more cellular energy. And, uh, and cordyceps seems to be very effective at doing that. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, what's called an adaptogen. So it has these immunomodulatory uh, aspects to it. Uh, It's a strong uh, antioxidant and seems to uh, also have soluble fibers that uh, help with uh, blood sugar regulation. Similar, a lot of these mushrooms actually have similar benefits because of their cell structure. And one of the uh, a whole class of the beneficial compounds that come from them are called uh, polysaccharides and polysaccharopeptides. And those compounds are structural compounds. And so a lot of mushrooms have these similar structural compounds. And that's why, you, you know, when you read these benefits from several varieties, you might see the same thing over and over again, like, you know, helps with, you know, antibacterial, antiviral. And, um, and, and so that, that's, Part of the reason there, um, as well as being full of terpenes and, and terpenoids and alkaloids that seem to have, you know, anti-cancer and anti-tumor properties. Um, so that's, and that's just uh, cordyceps. So that one by itself is just absolutely amazing. And then, you know, you've got lion's mane that is getting a ton of attention nowadays um, because uh, of its effectiveness at 
um, you know, it's really proving to be a true, what they're calling nootropic um, or uh, promoting uh, nerve growth factor, uh, which in, in turn uh, leads to more neuro neuron connections. And that uh, can have so many benefits from uh, nerve damage, nerve degradation, uh, autoimmune disorders that attack your nerves, um, uh, to memory and uh, cognitive decline, things like Alzheimer's and dementia. So the, the real medical application of uh, these compounds that come from uh, lion's mane are very exciting, not only to us, but also seemingly to the medical community at large. Um, and but I will say a funny, uh, an interesting thing about lion's mane is, you know, we we recognize that it has this uh, potential, but the uh, actual application of lion's mane, I think, is largely misunderstood. And um, it's, uh, specifically where some of these nootropic compounds are coming from, like what part of the mushroom and how to properly extract them uh, and store them. So, you know, you have a lot of people making uh, lion's mane extracts and stuff, and they're cooking their lion's mane down and essentially uh, destroying one of the uh, beneficial compounds or class of compounds, uh, these beta-glucans, um, uh, specifically aranacines and hericinones. And those are kind of these two comp uh, compounds that uh, seem to promote this nerve growth factor and be uh, be able to pass the blood brain barrier and, uh, be true nootropics. Uh, so not every lion's mane extract is created equally. And, uh, I know some people are really promoting mycelium extracts uh, specifically with lion's mane. And I think that might be one of the only ones where there is some real good research saying that the uh, mycelium does produce this, uh, aranacine A, which maybe is the most uh, potent of, of these uh, compounds. And, but the hericinones are largely produced by the fruiting body. So we uh, make a, we use what's called aerial mycelium or mycelium that's growing outside of the substrate uh, as well as fruiting body to, to extract for our um, lion's mane extract. So it is, uh, you know, containing both of these uh, classes of, of compounds. And, but when, when we take the lion's mane uh, tincture and, or just, you know, consume that regularly, it is a incredible and noticeable benefit. I mean, just the mental clarity, clarity and um, ability to stay on task. You know, I've always been a little bit of a, um, you know, not quite ADD or anything like that, but just, you know, um, easily distracted, just like I think a lot of us are. And uh, for some reason, the lion's mane really keeps us focused and, and it feels good to, to be in that mode, you know, helps us be in the flow state, if you will. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. And, and that's great that I love that you brought that up about the lion's mane, like the different methods for extraction versus what are you actually going for? Like what results are you looking for and, and which parts or like which extraction method to use? Like we run into this also in herbalism a lot too, where you'll see teas, you know, being sold on the shelves of, of stores with like different herbs in them. And you're going, you know, with like roots or things in that where, okay, so you're steeping that for five minutes. Like that 
you're not getting anything out of that because you need to do like a 20 to 30 minute decoction at least to get any benefit from this. And it's, it makes me sad because I know not only are the people purchasing this, not getting the benefit they hope for, but then also it feels like that plant material is being wasted as well. So it's, it's kind of sad from both perspectives, but so I love that you've been doing this long enough to sort of get into that more like nuanced view of, of just that deeper understanding that comes the longer you do this. Right. So hopefully we're all heading down that path. Um, and that, you know, you can trust that your products are being made, you know, to do the things that they're saying they're going to do. Um, and I know for a lot of people like mushroom coffee has kind of taken off in the past couple of years. And it's yeah. like one of those things, it's like, you listen to some of even these more kind of like bro sciencey podcasts and they're all sponsored by like, you know, four sigmatic or whatever. And, um, so definitely like those adaptogenic benefits that you were mentioning are kind of like that, that thing that's being touted right now, but it's very, yeah. 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 <laughs> I will say, you know, even though, you know, I have my own qualms with four sigmatic mainly just where they source their, their mushrooms, but mm-hmm. I appreciate companies like that, um, uh, for, bringing these, uh, you know, these adaptogens to the market and into kind of the uh, popular space. Um, that's really, uh, while, you know, I completely agree, there's a, a big difference in quality and e- efficacy and, and all that. And, you know, this is why we make our own um, and not buy this from other people. But uh, I, the popularity of all these items has been beneficial uh, as a whole. And For so, sure. yeah. you know, I, I definitely, while I think our products are more effective, I do appreciate that people are at least interested enough to try this mushroom coffee, for example. And, you yeah. know, I think it is somewhat effective. I think it does a little bit of what it says. Um, it's just, you know, these are companies that are after, after profits, probably a little more than um, public health. Yeah. But, I think any company, once it reaches a certain size, like you do, like you mentioned, you have to question like, well, for them to be able to produce this volume, where are they sourcing things from? Where's the, you know, is this being sourced ethically and responsibly? And, and by nature, if you're looking at like a smaller operation, like y'all, you know, it's much more hands-on, you, you guys know exactly what's happening and, and the quality of the product and, you know, not to knock, you know, for Sigmatic, but, you know, I think anyone, once you get to a certain size of company it's like well this is going to be a very different product in the end but the upside of that also like you said is that it's put it in front of a lot more people who now you don't have to explain to them what mushroom coffee is but you can tell them ours is better try this one instead right exactly yes and and i think that is you know the ultimate thing is a positive yeah so that's it I, i'm definitely not hating on that company by any means but just you know recognizing that this was an opportunity for us to do something better. Right. Yeah, exactly. More personalized, better quality and, you know, comes with a handwritten note. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you guys know, you're actually supporting like people, not just a big, a big company or your stockholders. So, um, I know we're kind of starting to run long on time and I want to let you guys get back to your, your Sunday and your day off, but, um, any, so any advice for people, we talked about kind of tools, easy entry points, um, we talked about doing like the wine calf mushrooms in the garden. Um, is there maybe in addition to that, like if people wanted to try doing like a grow bag, like what, what's your favorite to recommend to new growers that want to experiment with this? 
Totally. Well, we sell grow kits and wine cap spawn on our website and at our, all of our farmers markets on Saturdays. And so those are great ways to, to try it out. You know, if you're just interested in seeing the process a little bit, just watching the, the mushroom grow, you know, almost before your eyes uh, sometimes. Um, but uh, mushroom logs are also a good way to, to do it. Um, I think, you know, the, the more you can have something that's a set and forget is going to be uh, the more, you know, Especially the easier for somebody to get into it. Uh, so they don't have to be on it all the time. And in the, what I like about the mushroom logs is you, you might not need to be watering them all the time, uh, but they'll fruit when they're ready. So you just kind of watch it. And then, you know, one day after it rains, you'll go out there and, and have a nice bountiful harvest. And uh, that's kind of an exciting way to, to do it and, and can be very easy. And inoculating your own logs is very easy as well. You just, you can get the spawn online uh, at little plugs and you drill holes in a log and stick them in there and, and forget about it. I mean, it, it's really a one afternoon of, you know, nice beers and bonding or something, you know, you can make a little thing out of it with your friends and, and then, you know, never have to really think about it until you have mushrooms. So, uh, but I do recommend everybody try to incorporate it somewhat because it will enhance, um, the, the whole Thing. we didn't really get into it that much but the the mushrooms uh can really be a essential piece of not only adding more nutrition and value to your farm but uh in improving the land and soil that you are incorporating into your space and and so um maybe that's something we can talk about at, at not in nauseum um at another time but, uh, but uh, yeah, I'd love to have you guys back on and we can just do like a mushroom kind of composting episode maybe and, and how you guys use that to enhance your soil because soil remediation is definitely like a big topic for us. So maybe uh, maybe in the spring before people are getting their next round of gardens started, we can have you guys come advocate for that. I think every homestead would definitely benefit from that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So what, but thanks so much for, for talking to us. And yeah, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. And um, if we can just wrap up by telling people like, where can they find you? I know you guys vended a few markets and then also you have an online site so people can come get like a grow kit and some granola and yeah. yeah. And we're also starting a mushroom club that will have meetups in Nashville, Clarksville and Dover. So you can find dates and more information about that on our website nashvillepharmacy.com and we're on instagram and facebook mm -hmm. and then uh, we do the clarksville and dover farmers market uh, alternating weeks there and have our products at duke farms farm store the, that's our outlets uh, currently but we will hopefully in this next year start expanding those outlets so awesome yeah. well dylan mckenzie thank you so much for coming on the show i hope people will uh swing by the website, join the mushroom club and hopefully get started growing their own. Absolutely. Thank you so Thanks much. So much. Yeah. Awesome. I hope you're feeling inspired to learn about some of the mushrooms growing in your neck of the woods. If you poke around a bit online, you can probably find someone leading mushroom walks where you can learn about identifying edible mushrooms. It's always great to learn from a seasoned veteran. If you're in Tennessee, check out Nashville Pharmacy's event schedule to see when they're hosting classes and mushroom walks. I'll post that link in the show notes. It's the end of March, but we still have over three feet of snow on the ground at our place in Colorado. I'm itching to get the garden going, but it looks like I'm still going to be waiting a while. 
Our Cooney Cooney pig Clementine gave birth to five super healthy and adorable piglets last weekend, so that's keeping us busy in the meantime. If you want to see some really cute pictures, check out the Fox and Elder Instagram and Facebook. We've also released some of our spring seasonal items in the Fox and Elder shop. Lymph Love, our favorite herbal vinegar, is back in stock and is a seasonal item, so once it's gone, it is gone forever, or at least until next year. That's why we love bioregional as well as seasonal herbalism. We also have Violet Leaf Salve and Calendula Salve, available in two different sizes now. Both are great if you're dealing with dry skin from winter still. And of course, we still have our normal stock of delicious herbal teas and tinctures. Thank you so much for supporting our farm with your purchases. It means the world to us, especially as we work to get our farm reestablished in a new location this year, which comes with a lot of expenses. Our next episode will be another joint episode with my partner, Mike, as we can continue to talk about our move from Tennessee to Colorado and transitioning to off-grid life here. I hope you're doing well out there. Love extra hard on the people you care about and plant some good seeds, both literally and figuratively. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.